Well, I, we, Proverbs, I, I picked verse 25. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. That is a great, great proverb, especially considering the signs of the times. And we're today, and we're in part two of two weeks about signs in the times. If you were here last week, you know that um, we started that. And rather than uh, just diving into the last book in the Bible, we um, took our teaching last week from the words of Jesus. And, uh, and uh, Jesus had this, this conversation. He had been teaching in the temple. And as he came out, some of his, his disciples were, were looking and saying, wow, isn't the church building cool? Basically, paraphrasing. They were saying, this place is beautiful. And Jesus said, yeah, and he talked about that, and he said, uh, eventually this whole thing's going to come down stone by stone, and, and th- that captivated them. And so they were asking questions, and he kept talking about things further and further in the future. And uh, we took time last week to uh, see um, se- several of the items. We talked about five of the things that Jesus talked about that were signs of the end times. And uh, so we got halfway through Jesus' list. We're going to continue that today. It's kind of like, I think, um, looking at a mountain range. You know, you, you, when, when the Corps of Discovery, when, when Lewis and Clark were approaching the, uh, the, the Rocky Mountains, it was believed that you just go up one side and come down the other and just keep on going on your flat earth way, right? And they discovered that it wasn't like that at all. I mean, when they, they got to the point where they could see peaks, there were a bunch of peaks. Have you ever been to a place where you can see a bunch of peaks and it looks like they're just a bunch of mountains all right together if you just go over, right? The thing is that you can't tell how much distance is in those valleys, right? Tracking with me here, church? Okay, so um, there, 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 there are things that Jesus described, and for us, it's kind of like looking at a bunch of mountain peaks. We, we know their peaks, we see they're coming, but we can't tell how big the valley is in between. And so as Jesus goes down his list, that's true about the time frames involved. Some of these things that we're looking at where we can describe and say, yeah, these things are all going on at once. Other things are separated by periods of time. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on down the list and we'll work our way through this. And um, so last week he, 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 we went through the signs of, 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 uh, the, the signs of the times. The first one was spiritual deception. And we talked about escalating wars and increased human suffering. There have been, uh, um, in wars, in, in human warfare, some estimates say 180 million people have died because of, hum- because of armed conflict in the last 100 years. 180 million. That last 100 years is more than all of the rest of history rolled together. It's an increase. Um, believers, number three, believers forced to identify themselves. And that happened fairly recently in Oregon. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Number four, betrayal by former believers. And then number five, the gospel preached to every nation. And we took some time on that last week. I won't review that again, except to say that that has been accomplished. A lot of people think, well, not a whole world. That's not true. That's not true. Scripture doesn't support that. In fact, Scripture tells us that that's actually been accomplished. So that, if we're waiting for that to be check, check, that check mark to have been checked, it's been checked. Okay, and here we are now, and we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, with item number six, which uh, Jesus described as the abomination of desolation. He says the abomination of desolation marks the time. Now this, here we're going to get a little bit more complicated, okay? We're going to spend some time, and I need you to put on your thinking hats today, your learning hats. You have learning hats, right? You got your mindset, okay? So put those on, and um, you know, 2 Timothy 2 tells us, tells us to study. Show yourself approved so that you don't have to be a, a workman that's, that's ashamed, Study to show yourself approved, rightly knowing, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Being able to understand. So God challenges us. This is rise to this. You, you need to learn these things. And, and here's the thing about the Bible. Not everything in the Bible is low-hanging fruit. Do you know what I mean by that? You ever notice how the deer eat the low-hanging fruit? And there's a lot more apples up the tree. If you want those apples, you've got to climb for them. Right? So not everything in the Bible is low-hanging fruit. But everything in the Bible is understandable. It is. You can actually understand it if you, if you want to take the time. So um, <clears throat> Mark 13, verse 14, Jesus says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. That's us. Scripture says let the reader understand. That's us. So we're readers. We're going to try and understand this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, uh, I'm going to unpack that for you a little bit. There are some people... Um, they have a label. We call them preterists. They believe that what Jesus was prophesying about here was actually fulfilled in the year 70 AD. There, there are people who believe that. And, and um, <clears throat> I, I believe that a lot of the things that we're going to read through today actually have, will have their fulfillment in, in the second coming of Christ. And I want to make it clear that as we go through this, that um, we don't have to agree about all these topics. We don't have to agree on the timings of these things, and, and uh, maybe you'll have a, a, a particular feeling. And, and, and I just want to say that we can just, at this point, agree to disagree, okay, if that's the case. I mean, as long as, we can go ahead and disagree about the timing, as long as we're looking for his return. The more important thing is that we are looking for his return, and, and uh, that we may be the generation that lives to see Christ's return. I really feel like that's a possibility, a good possibility. And, and, and whatever, if we, if we don't agree particularly on the timing and the labels here, there's nothing for us to separate over. There's nothing for us to you know, get, a, get into a fit about and, and say, hey, let's go. <laughs> no, we don't need to do that over these things, okay? And uh, with that in mind, uh, what, what exactly? Okay, Jesus, come on. What, what is the abomination of desolation. Now, that word abomination, um, we don't use that a lot in the English language. Um, it's used over a hundred times in the Old Testament, and uh, it's often quoting or referencing, and I think it's most in the context that we probably hear it most when it comes from the church, is in reference to um, uh, morally, uh, moral, moral failure, sexual failure and perversion, and um, that's how it's described in Leviticus 18. But that's actually not the main usage of this word abomination in the Bible. The main way that that word is used throughout the Bible, it's in reference to idolatry. And, uh, and, and the reason that God uses that strong, strong word to reference idolatry, sin, is that I, I think that that's probably the greatest wickedness that there is, um, the worship of a false god. Jesus, Jesus told us, Love the Lord your God with, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind in Mark 12. And, and in the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the God says, Hear, O Israel, um, you shall have no other gods before me. None. So there, 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 is, there, is, um, there is also a description of this in the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel mentions the abomin- abomination of desolation. And um, where it says in Daniel 9, verse 27, he says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now, here's where people kind of start getting lost because of the imagery here. The word week there is literally sevens. It means seven years. Okay, that's the literal translation, uh, but for one week. And for half of the week, which would be three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. 
So the abomination of desolation is something that happens in the temple where there is a stopping of sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree to end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, this desolator that's being referenced here is the Antichrist, is the man of lawlessness. He's, he's the, the great false religious leader that's going to come upon the world scene. And he's going to say, and, and there was a partial fulfillment of this, this scenario in, uh, in the year 175 B.C., right after Alexander the Great had, had died and the world had kind of been divided into four of his lieutenants. And, and uh, one of the guys who was running a large part of the world was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was um, at war with Egypt, fighting over control of, of, of Israel, basically. And um, he gets orders from somewhere else, Rome, and they say, stop it, back out of there. So he, he stops that fight. And, um, and on his march back around the Mediterranean, of course, it takes him right through Jerusalem. Now, he's frustrated and angry. He's been ordered to stop this fight and to give this, 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 this land up. And um, on his way through with his armies, he goes right through Jerusalem, and he takes his, his armies, and he marches up on the Temple Mount and into the temple and slaughters a pig on the altar. Now, if you know much of your Old Testament, you'll know that a pig is considered an unclean animal, has no place on the altar. He is absolutely in their grill. And worse than slaughtering the pig on the altar, he now forces the priests to eat the pig, and then he forces the priests to bow down and worship the pig on the altar of God. So this is a pretty big, uh, pretty big deal, okay? So this is, a, this is a partial fulfillment, and, and there were a lot of people that wouldn't bow down, and history tells us, this is, that's, not, that's not from the Bible I'm giving you from history, um, 80,000 people or so were butchered, killed. Um, by, by Antiochus Epiphanes and his army over that whole thing. There's another partial fulfillment that happened in, in the year 70 AD. Titus Vespasian was, was there with his legions, and um, the city was under siege, and it was a pretty big deal. Um, some estimates are that 1.1 million Jews were killed in that siege and, and what happened following. And um, the city was leveled. And at that point, the sacrificial system... Um, in the land of Israel ended. So have you ever wondered, how come they're not still doing stuff like that? It's because it ended in the year 70 AD. You can read about this. There's plenty in, in the history books. This is not a spiritual fact, although it's true. Um, this is just simply out of our history, and it stopped. And, and some, you know, where some, you look at this, this the, you know, how on earth can there be an abomination of desolation where some religious leader can come along and stop the sacrifices from happening on the altar because they're not going. So, so Jesus says it's going to come. What, how can that possibly happen? Legitimate question, right? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so I mean, I do. I'm thinking, I want, okay, if this is going to be end times, then how is that going to happen? And, um, you know, there's a group, and you can look this up later. Um, don't go on the internet now. You should stick with me here. But you can look this up later. There's a group called um, templeinstitute.org, and they have spent nearly $30 million already to um, gathering together the implements needed. Now, this is the, the, the first one you saw there was, was the golden laver, and it's basically a way that the priests would wash their hands and their special clothes. Here's a picture of many of the implements. They are already made. In fact, they announced last March, just 10 months ago, less than a year ago, the Institute or, uh, announced that they have now already completed the actual altar that will be used. 
the altar is finished. It's sitting. It's ready. All of the instruments are finished, including the, everything that the, the priests need. It's all done in Jerusalem today. And they're waiting to reinstitute the sacrificial system where they start sacrificing bulls and lambs and in fact, uh, there, there are this group of Orthodox Jews are, are trying to re, re, rally this resurgence of the return to the sacrificial system. Some of them believe that the return to the sacrificial system is what will bring in world peace. Of course, you and I understand that world peace will only come when the Prince of Peace comes back upon the scene um, and deals with sin once and for all. Anyway, back to Mark 13, ultimate this, this abomination of desolation will be led ultimately by a guy named the Antichrist. Now, I kind of had a, a split in my study here. I'm thinking, okay, talk about a rabbit trail. That could take us on, and we're not going to do it. So if you want to know more about the Antichrist, we just don't have time today to deal with it, with that, with that individual, but you can read about it in 1 John 2 and um, 1 John 4. Anyway, John teaches... About, talks a little bit about the Antichrist. He teaches that the, that the spirit of the Antichrist is anyone who, 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 who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as God and paid the price for our sin. Anybody who believes that, that does not believe that, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Anybody, anybody who denies that Jesus Christ is God. And that denial is not acceptable to true Christians. It's just we, can't, we cannot negotiate that fact. It's just not up for negotiation for us. And a world leader is coming. And this world leader could very well be alive today and in the headlines today. Um, and he's going to capture the hearts of the entire world and he's going to lead, in, including the entire religious world, and, and, um, and, and he's going to be under the control of Satan. And the Antichrist is going to turn his anger and his, his venom toward the Jewish people. And he's going to convince the rest of the world that the Jewish people, that the nation of Israel, is the root of all of the problems that the world has. And the whole world is going to go along with it, except true believers of Christ. That's what's going to happen. And, and uh, he's going to turn that persecution on them, and, um, and everybody's going to accept that except the true followers. Signs that indicate the last days of human history, number six, the abomination of desolation marks the time. Number seven, unparalleled persecution and martyrdom of believers. Mark 13, starting in verse 15. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Okay, now stop here for a second. I really struggled in my study because I thought, you know what? This... This is uh, pretty direct. And the Christian world out there says that the body of Christ can't handle this stuff. Says that you cannot handle this. I don't believe that. And I also believe that it's not my role to buffer the words of Jesus. So what I'm going to do now is just continue reading this passage and trust that your faith will let you be carried by the Spirit and that the Lord will speak to you about this. We're going to unpack it and study this. But I, I specifically had the Lord tell me, hey, you don't need to soften this. You just read Jesus' words and keep going. So that's what I'm going to do. Don't, don't mistake the fact that I don't love you because I'm being direct, okay? 
Smile at me, please. Do something. Okay. Verse 17. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. And here's why. He goes on. For in those days there will be such tribulation has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. It's going to be worse than it's ever been. Ever. And there are people who, who look at this prophecy of Jesus and say, you know, well, that's, that was all fulfilled in 70 AD. You know, so why are you preaching this, Terry? I mean, and I would just say, well, you know, John wrote the last book in the Bible, the Revelation, which, by the way, it's the Revelation. It's not Revelations. If you put an S on the end of it, other Christians will know you don't know the name of the book. So I want this church educated to know there's no S at the end of the Revelation. Okay, okay, so okay, that was a little mini rabbit trail. I'll come back off that. Um, but, he, but John wrote the Revelation, and um, he prophesied these very same, same things that Jesus is talking about, and he said that they were yet future. When was the book of Revelation written? Well, it was written somewhere around the year 90, a couple of decades after 70 A.D., that's one of the reasons that I don't agree with preterists that this is all fulfilled, one of many reasons. And, and, and if you read through the, the Revelation, you know, there's the seven seals and the white horse and the red horse and war and famine and death and martyrs. And, <laughs> and then at one point, God's wrath comes um, in something called the day of the Lord. And there's trumpets and bowls and all, all of that's in Revelation. And I think the book is worth your time. And it needs to be studied carefully. And it's not, not, it's not real, 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 real. It's not an afternoon read. You've got to spend some time on it. Um, but here's something that's pretty cool at the very beginning. Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. There's a promise from God that just by hearing the words of the book of Revelation or reading it, God will bless you. All you've got to do is hear it. It's pretty, pretty cool. So back to, uh, back to where our text in verse 19 and Jesus is talking. He says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. So I want us to just ask a simple question. It's rhetorical. If it's going to be worse than it's ever been, here's the question. Is it getting worse than it's ever been right now? <laughs> it's rhetorical. You don't. So, I mean, thank you. But, but I mean, I don't know. If, how do you believe about this? Do you either things are getting worse, or they're not? And it's interesting how we can become numb. Um, things can happen. I mean, I I was asking myself this question: Are things worse? And I believe they are. But you know, do you remember what happened in Charleston, South Carolina? I mean, it was just last spring, seven months ago. Some of you are going, yeah, there was something about that. What happened? Okay, a guy named Dylan Roof, 21-year-old, walked into, got up in a church prayer meeting and stood up and he killed nine people. Christians. Um, there's a book in my office um, that I don't read a lot. It's called The Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's a list of these terrible things that happened to the early church leaders and how they martyred. They were martyred and... Um, they gave their lives up, and they were put to this ultimate test, which could happen to you and to me. It could happen. And 
the, there are these estimates out there. I mean, how many Christians have been martyred for their faith since the time of Christ? And hard to tell, but uh, the numbers vary. Um, I've seen some huge numbers. I'm going to give you one. This isn't the huge number, but, but this is somewhere in the middle of estimates, 50 million. There are estimates way bigger than that. And um, uh, that's a lot. And, and, and it used to be that when you know, preachers like me would stand up and talk about stuff like that, we'd give you current examples from like, Rwanda or Russia or China or Cambodia or someplace. But I don't have to go overseas for examples anymore. I mean, in October, just three months ago, a young man was, um, the guy's name is Christopher Harper Mercer, and he went into a community college in Roseburg. And he appeared to single out Christian students for killing. Went into the room, and there were um, um, different witnesses. One gal named uh, Anastasia Boyle, who was shot in the spine, told the story that he basically said, you know, stand up, are you a Christian? And if the answer was yes, well, good, because you're going to meet him in one second, bullet through the head. And um, another, another witness uh, uh, that was on NBC, uh, her name was Adam Vakari, she told a very similar statement. He, he told people, all everybody in the room to stand up before asking them, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, they got shot in the head, and if they said no, they were shot in the leg or someplace else in their body. And this is nothing less than wicked hatred spawned in hell. I mean, it's, 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 it's inspired by Satan himself. It's, and his goal is to, to, to shame and to disgrace Jesus and to, you know, to deny God's word and to destroy God's people. And it's just straight out hatred for Christians and Christianity. And it's escalating. It's escalating. And I've noticed something else as it's escalated around the world while hell is, is targeting Christians, our nation seems to be becoming more and more silent about that aspect of this. There's a lot of press about the, he, the deeds, but the fact that there's a Christian target is becoming, it's silent. And, um, you know, I, I don't, you, if you've been here for a while, you know that I don't come up here and go political on you. I don't bring up political issues. I'm going to bring one up today, not to press the political issue, but to make a point. So seat belt, belt your seatbelt down and stay with me for a minute, even if I make you angry, okay? Um, I don't mean to make you angry, but our, our, our nation goes quiet about this, and the narrative that comes from our nation's leadership is about gun control. And I think, really? <laughs> um, I mean... When somebody says that gun control is going to stop heinous murders that are spawned in hell, I'm thinking, I mean, we're trying to take a spiritual problem and apply man's wisdom and man's solutions. They'll have an impact. They will not solve. You cannot solve the spiritual problem with laws. You won't. I think anybody who's ever read the Old Testament can figure that out because laws don't fix the problem. What they do is they expose what's the condition of the heart and the need for a savior. And um, 
Maybe you're for gun control or maybe you're against it. I don't care. Take your position. That's fine. But don't believe that that will solve a spiritual problem. It just won't. I mean, there's plenty of cases for that if you want to take a case. I mean, the one that comes up all the time is the city of Chicago. They had, uh, in 2015, over 400 murders last year. They're like, I think the statistics on that are like about 19 murders per 100,000 people. That's how they measure that. The city of Chicago is four times the national average. And they've got the, very close to, the very strictest gun control laws in the nation. It doesn't work. It's just laws aren't going to solve something that's sourced in hell. And, and while that's going on, and we're talking about those kinds of laws, um, the enemy of our souls is rallying every force at his disposal, and he's targeting his hatred upon the land of Israel and on believers in Christ people following around the world that are following Jesus. And last week, you know, we, we kind of had this pause as we were talking through the words of Jesus here. You know, would I have the strength to stand? I mean, I was asking myself those questions. Will I have the strength to stand? What would I do? And, and, and we, as we read verse 11, which was, in, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, okay, um, those kids in Roseburg. The first one had no idea what was going to happen. Are you a Christian? Until that first one was shot and the rest could see the reason that victim got it in the head was because of Christian. I mean, he didn't know, he or she, I don't know if it's a boy or girl. But some real courage happened after that. Because more people said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I really believe that, you know, Today, those people are, Scripture says that they're absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. And, and we mourn them, and we're brokenhearted, and I was, I lost sleep over that. I was angry, and I was tearing, and all, I mean, all the emotions. I was really upset about that whole thing. I contacted the pastors. There was a pastor down there. I mean, I, there, there just was, I don't know how to put words to that. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, Look at the courage of those people. There was something that happened there, and, and we don't know how close we are to being with the Lord. They just went up, got up, got dressed, got their coffee, and went to school that day and didn't come home. And um, we just don't know how close we are to being with the Lord or, or the rapture, when the Lord will come back. And, and this is kind of like, as we study this, it's like looking at a mountain range. We can see the peaks, but we don't know how big the valleys are between these different signs. Yeah, they're there. And maybe, maybe 10 years from now, we'll still be standing here preaching these things and going to church and looking at this, and, and, um, and, and we'll just be able to look then and say, well, what was going on 10 years ago was just more intense birth pangs. We were getting closer, but just not quite there. Maybe, maybe. But here's the thing. When those birth pangs start coming, to those of you who have had children, you go to the hospital. You go. You do something about it. You don't go, ah, <laughs> What time's the Seahawks game on? <laughs> you get it recorded. <laughs> anyway, and, and my goal for, for bringing to you these, these words um, about end times is, is not somehow to stir up some sort of scary speculation. I, I mean, I mean and, it's, and it's not in anything close to the foolishness of speculating about setting a date or a time. I'm not about that. Scripture says don't do that. Don't trust somebody who does it. 
you'll never hear me doing that. And it, it's, it, this, this, this series is about taking the Bible seriously. It's, it's about evaluating what's going on out there. How does it fit in with what God said would happen? And what's, what should I be doing? You know, because it, it appears to be getting shorter time. I want to lean into things that really matter in the time that I have. It's, this is about personal reflection and holiness. And, and I think there could be people in this room today where you need to commit your life to Christ today. You need to do it today. Get saved. And if, if you know in your heart today that when that moment comes, you won't be able to stand before Christ. If you know that in your heart, today is the day of your salvation. Do not wait. Do not wait. Signs that indicate the last day, six, abomination of desolation, seven, unparalleled persecution and martyrdom. You know, if, is it getting worse than it's ever been? Number eight, once, are you ready for some good news? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I am. Oh, I've been waiting to get to this page. Okay. Number, number eight, suffering cut short by the rapture of the church. Yeah. Suffering cut short by the rapture of the church. Mark 13, um, and, and Jesus is explaining, he says, verse 20, and if the Lord had not cut short the days... So human, uh, no human being would be saved. If he had, uh, he's, he's saying it's going to get so bad that, that humanity would destroy itself if he doesn't cut short the days. Um, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Be on guard. I've told you all things beforehand. Now, there's a better description or a more detailed description. I wouldn't say anybody does anything better than Jesus. Um, I'm pretty sure that was perfect, okay? What Jesus said was perfect. Um, but the Lord gives us more elsewhere in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, meaning people who have already died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The Greek word here is harpazo, which means to seize, to pluck, to take by force. Okay? And this, this, this word, um, I've, I've heard the objection, well, the word rapture doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible. Where do you Christians get that rapture thing? Well, okay, so um, the Catholic Church, as you know, has used Latin, uh, Latin scriptures. Uh, in about the year 380, a guy named Jerome translated this from Greek into Latin, and that's called the Vulgate. And the Vulgate uses, and when it gets to this passage, it uses the word rapturo. From, what we, from where we get our word rapture. So, okay, actually, none of the English words we use are in the Bible because it wasn't in English, okay? It all had to be translated. But, <laughs> but basically, the concept of being plucked up, captured there, harpazos, raptured, rapturo, pick your word, it's there, okay? It's there. Um, we get raptured, plucked up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another, with these words. Therefore, comfort one another. I feel comforted. Thank you for that. I mean, and there's a lot of debate right now in the body of Christ, um, I'm not arguments, maybe arguments, about the timing of the rapture. There are people who believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation occurs. 
There are people who believe it will happen in the middle of the tribulation. And there are people who believe that Christians will go through the tribulation and be raptured at the end of the tribulation. There's, there's all kinds of, of, of really smart, God-loving people who believe each of those three positions, okay? And um, I'm just going to say to you that I have some very specific reasons that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And I'm just going to ask for grace from you. If you believe something different, that you would give me the grace to know that I have to teach what I believe. Okay, right? Okay, so I'm going to give some reasons about that. And um, I'll give you a few, a few reasons, but I'm not going to camp out on this for too long because I want to get to the end of the service. Okay, so, um, okay, so, and I know that there are arguments about these, but here's, here's some of the reasons I believe. First Thessalonians 5 says that we are not appointed under wrath. And that's a, that, is a, that is a scripture that's in the context of end times things. We're not appointed under wrath. Luke 12, here's Jesus, uh, 21, excuse me, here's Jesus speaking. He says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So there's Jesus saying it's possible to escape all these things. Interesting. Jeremiah 29, 11, which is one of my favorites, tells us, gives us a peek about how God thinks about us. For I, for I know my thoughts about you, says the Lord, not about your destruction, not about your downfall, not about your tearing apart, not about your burning up, but about your future and your hope. That's how God thinks about us. Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms, talks about the Lord thinks about us in so many wonderful How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Too numerous to count. Does that sound like a God who... Anyway, so, I mean, I look at those scriptures and I think, okay, I see some evidence here that the Lord is, is not going to cause his beloved to go through this. And then if you just look at the basic character of God, when have there been other events where calamity was coming? What happened to God's beloved and those? Well, you guys know all about Noah. He was saved from the destruction of the flood. Daniel, a fiery furnace. There's a picture, a type of the, of, of the tribulation and him being saved. Um, Lot, who was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and God said, you know, would you just spare the city for 50? And it was negotiated down, you know. And, and finally, God sends his angels, says, get them out of there. Get my beloved out of there because destruction's coming. And the story of one of my favorites is the prodigal son, you know, which so reflects my personal failures and my repeated failures and my repeated inability to be holy. And God is always, Terry, come on, come on, hurry up. In fact, I'm running to you. Uh, uh, there's just, I, I don't see anywhere in scripture where the Lord pours his wrath out upon his faithful loved ones. I just don't see the character. It's just not there. So, I mean, I believe that Christians will not go through the tribulation. However, you may believe differently, and there are really good reasons for the people who believe differently. I, I just think that it's foolish, regardless of what you believe, to be lax in your pursuit of God and holiness, whatever position you take. Jesus' words again, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay, so as we're standing back looking at our peaks and the things that Jesus is talking about, then um, comes the, the, the great tribulation, which is where the wrath of Satan is being just poured out upon the world. And um, it, it begins, I believe, with the abomination of desolation. And then comes out what's known as the day of the Lord. 
comes following that where God himself steps to center stage and number nine, God pours out his wrath upon an unbelieving world. Here's a little description of it, um, starting at verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, after that tribulation, tribulation will be Satan's wrath being poured out. And then after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven. Now, if you think that the, the, the difficulties of the tribulation of having a hard time buying and selling, etc., and persecution, if you think that's bad, now you have stars falling out of the sky onto the earth. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Wow. And then we get to the last one, which is number 10, the second coming of Christ and the end of the age. Now, to study this all out in detail would really take for us weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of Sundays to go through the Revelation, and, um, but I, I, we can't do that, but I want to just do a little snippet here and see um, what this is talking about, Christ's coming. You can see this in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. There's a hint who this is. Read the Gospel of John. You'll get it in the first couple of verses. In the beginning was the Word. Okay. And his name is called the word of God, verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. Okay. Verse 15. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule, rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That's an amazing sentence there. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's not a lot of teaching today about the wrath of God. It's not fun to teach. It's, it's just not. But Scripture says that God's wrath is being stored up for that day. You can read about that in Romans 1 and 2. God's wrath for what happened in a schoolroom in Oregon is being stored up for that day. God has righteous, unquenchable wrath. And it's storing up. Every evil, rotten thing that has ever happened, has ever been done, it's being stored up. Either that wrath is going to be poured out on Christ to pay the price for my sins and my evil. Or it's going to be poured out on those without forgiveness. It's going to go somewhere. So Christ returns and then there's this thousand year reign of Christ followed by a new heavens and a new earth and what scripture says as it calls a lake of fire. And everyone 
will go and be somewhere forever. And based on the words of Jesus and what I see when I look around and I read the news and what's happening, I believe we're in the last days. I really believe it. What do we do? Two things. Simple things. Simple things to talk about. First one is this. Ready your heart. Be ready in your heart. Don't play games with God and your eternity. Just don't do that. Matthew 7, these are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. I think that is the scariest sentence in the whole Bible. Because there are people who think they're good. They're good with God. But they don't have a relationship. They don't have a real relationship with Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know what the Father's will is? I can tell you that right now. I will tell you what the Father's will is for you. The Lord designed you with a free will so that when you make a decision, it has meaning. What's the worth of a decision of someone who's compelled to decide that? It means nothing. The Lord gave you a free will. What's God's will for you? That you, knowing this, would willingly open your heart back to God and receive the gift of life. That's God's will. Not all shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, there it is right there, and will be in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done wonders in your name? It doesn't matter how many poor people you feed. Verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew from you, knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, so first one is ready your heart. Second thing to do is recognize the urgency because... There is a specific day. There is one precise, exact moment. I believe that the numbers are counting. God knows who's going to open their heart to him, and the number's counting. And hell hates this fact. But that number is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't know what the number is right now. Nobody knows but the Father. Could it be a kajillion? Maybe. Could it be 18? And a church somewhere in this country or somewhere else, they're saying, hey, open your heart to the Lord. And five people raise their hands and it goes down. Click, 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 click. 12, 11, 10, 4, 3. There will come a moment and it will go from one to zero. And this current age will then end. It just will be over. It will be done. How awesome for us to be able to run to the refuge and the salvation of Christ today. Today's the day of your salvation. In, in spite of your own sin, in spite of your own failing, today is the day of your salvation. And I plead with you today, if you do not know you are right with God, get right with God. Because when that day comes, it'll be too late. It will be too late. What an awesome day today is a day of salvation, a day of forgiveness, a day of freedom from sin. Turn from your sin and embrace Christ and you can be forgiven. Don't wait until it's too late. I pray that you won't do that. I'm going to pray right now. And then I want you just to stay in your seat and let the Spirit minister to you through a song that's been prepared for these moments and let the power of God compel you. And here's the thing. I'm not asking. We're not going to here to sign you up for church. We're here to give you the opportunity to get right with God and forever seal where you'll spend eternity. Lord, I pray that today... That, that you would, there would come a revelation in our hearts of, of your love, of your care, of your protect, protection and provision for us, that, that God, that, that we would understand that, and that understanding would come to us 
not by any method that a human could help us understand it, but by your spirit, God. And I pray, Lord, that you and only your kingdom would, would somehow do that. And God, I want to pray right now for people who maybe have heard some of these words and it's caused them to be a little bit afraid. Your word tells us that you haven't given us the spirit of fear. You're not trying to scare us. But instead, you've given us a, mind, a, a spirit of power and love and a soundness of mind. That with a sound mind, we can say, hear these words and respond. Church, keep your eyes closed. I want to give opportunity. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord and you want to get this right, do it right now. Just look up at me and agree. Just let me pray with you. Okay? I'm looking around. So just to make sure that if that's why you're looking, would you give me a little hand? Lord, I want to thank you. (laughs) I want to thank you for the peace that comes, that goes beyond my understanding, that you've put into my soul because of my relationship with you. I lean into the saving grace of Jesus. I want to thank you that that's true for so many here today. Many, if not all. Lord, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord.